0: Hello, my name is Giancarlo, and welcome to the Creative Gap Podcast. This show is meant to guide creatives, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, designers, artists. We are going to be talking about all things related to craft, passion, ownership, self-employment, physical mental health, and a bunch of other things, too. So, hopefully you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Creative Gap Podcast. Hopefully you guys are doing well. Happy New Year to every one of you. Um, took about a month off or so to reestablish some equipment, new software, and just record a bunch of episodes before we release them. And today's episode is going to be really awesome. I'm excited for this guest today. I've actually looked up to his work and especially YouTube content for a couple years now, quite a while. And... Um, he is a DP, filmmaker, storyteller, YouTuber, um, all-around great person. Um, so I'm very pleased to introduce to Brady Bassett. Welcome.
1: Hello, hello. I, I as well look up to your work, so I'm glad to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, that means a lot as well. Um, so for people that don't know too much about you, just provide a little backstory to who you are and where you came from.
1: Yeah, so I... I- came from vermont i now live in utah and i am mainly a dp but a lot of people know me through youtube as well especially with the lighting realm so um I do anything really lighting dp work as well um but that's kind of where i stand I do a lot of educational stuff on on my youtube as well as uh, your traditional dp work
0: Uh, So going off of just kind of your backstory a little bit, have you always been into filmmaking? Was this something that you grew up wanting to pursue?
1: Not exactly. I started with photography strictly on the still side of things, maybe 13 years ago. Um, I mean, coming into high school is when I started. And it was just photography up until about 2019, maybe 2018 where I transitioned into like, you know, the typical videographer kind of event stuff, travel stuff. Um, But that's what made the segue from stills into video. And then from there, the storytelling aspect came in and I transitioned from video into cinematography as well.
0: Very cool. Did you go to school at all or
1: self-taught? I didn't go to school. Um, Definitely. I'd say I've got, a pretty untraditional approach to how I got to where I'm at now. Um, A lot of it was just, you know, friends doing small indie projects. And then even the transition into teaching on YouTube, ironically enough, I was learning a lot through that
0: so you said you come from vermont and based on my knowledge doesn't seem like a very big film community up in vermont um can you talk about no growing as a filmmaker in an area that doesn't have much of a film scene
1: i mean it's tough and that was definitely one of the uh, push factors of me moving to utah um it was it was at the time of around covid too when i was back there because prior to that i lived in florida which doesn't I don't have a film scene as much either, um, but it was tough. I found myself instead of, you know, getting jobs on sets any sets or work that I was doing, I had to clean for myself. So it's very like one man show run and gun kind of do it all type of filmmaking out there. Cause they, and I guess in like a marketing as, uh, aspect of, uh, like content creation, everyone's kind of a little bit more old school what works works and they don't need to spend a huge budget on big projects. So there's not a huge industry there. And I know there's another world of factors that go into that with like location and filming, but that's one of the big things. So it was difficult.
0: Mm, I can see that. So that's partially why I moved to Philly as well. Even though I'm, where I grew up in New Jersey, wasn't too far from Philly. It wasn't too far from New York um, moving closer to Philly just helped me feel a bit more involved in the industry a little bit and just not be as separated. Um, so I, I, I totally understand why you would want to move out of Vermont. And I definitely want to talk about your experience moving to Utah in a little bit. Um, but before that, so you wanted to pursue, you were a photographer, then you pursued videography and cinematography. Where did YouTube come into play? Like, was there something inside of you that wanted to just teach or something because that's that's how, that's what i realized
1: uh, yes the the youtube side of things wasn't even the main attention i had my 2018 you know want to vlog a phase and that fizzled out really fast and then i just didn't want to do anything on youtube for really up until i started posting but it wasn't until a combination of covid i started in august of 2020 so that was kind of right in the heart of it So a combination of that and then just having moved back to Vermont and just having nothing, I was like, hey, why not try to teach something? I knew I wasn't top of the ladder. I was still, you know, very bottom of the barrel. But I was like, there's somebody like myself when I was 13, 14, 15, trying to learn on YouTube, probably doing the same thing. So it's kind of like helping the younger me in a sense of like, I don't know everything but i know something take it or leave it and i think with the time of where everything was at everyone was just so absorbed in learning education entertainment online because that's all there was so that's probably why it kind of hit the ground running as fast as it did
0: yeah you grew fast
1: it was scary (laughs) (laughs) i i
0: don't remember exactly when i started maybe it was 20 it was during COVID as well so I mean, looking simultane- like, uh, side by side, you blew up like insane. Yeah, I don't insanely know. Insanely fast. <laughs> what, what was that like going from zero to like just pure massive scale, really? Was that a huge transition point? What were your what were your initial intentions with YouTube? For me, I also did not have any goals in mind. I was just like, I'm just going to kind of create stuff and see what it does. Um, did you have, I know you said you didn't really have any motive or intentions behind it, but after the first, I guess what I want to say is like after the first video, second video, maybe after a month, maybe it didn't, you're not getting that many views. Like what kept you going in the beginning, even though you did have a quick uh, blow up? I'm sure there was a time where you weren't getting very much.
1: See, that's where it gets tricky because the first and second video obviously didn't do well because I didn't have a presence. But by the third to fifth video, and I was on a weekly basis just because I had nothing to do. By the third to fifth video, they already shot up. So I I didn't really have much of that. I was just like, oh, there's traction. I got to keep going the first kind of like feeling of that in a way was probably like six months after where the spike had been high and i was used to that at that point and then it just kind of dropped back to like a normal baseline of growth in views and numbers and that was like oh there it is it's all out the window i got a quick hit and i'm done So that was probably harder than like the beginning version of that.
0: What kept you going once you hit that little moment?
1: Honestly, it was probably the fact that I didn't have much work. I didn't, I wasn't DPing on anything. And I still had that like, you know, burning need in me to still create more stuff. So I was like, this is all I've got. Let me just keep doing it and keep keep with the growth and just see what happens from there
0: how do you I, I reflect sometimes on like i'll go back and watch like one like some earlier videos of mine and just be like who the hell did i think i was like how did you like do you notice a huge change in yourself from the first video till now like what were what are a couple things that you noticed within yourself that you grew um grew with over the years
1: yeah that is very accurate very true because now I'm at about two two and a half years in of doing this and personality alone it's a completely different person before I had this persona in mind that I need to be like this straightforward professional youtuber and just straight to the point and like monotone which has definitely evolved as I got comfort or comfortable in front of the camera and that was a huge change at first uh, it was you know, daunting, filming a whole video in front of a camera with lights. Yeah. So that has definitely changed. You know, you know how yeah, it is. I remember it's, that. Yeah. It's not easy.
0: Even today still, when I set that camera up, I like, I have to take a deep breath. I'm like, all right, here we go again. Here we go.
1: Yeah. There's t- sometimes when you just like check out and you're like, I'm talking to a wall. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just really weird. So personality was one of the main things. Like I'll look back and be like, what are you doing? that's like, it just wasn't me and it wasn't organic. Um, but that happens with a lot of people who start with YouTube and they kind of develop their, um, persona as they go. But skill set wise has changed a lot as well. A hundred percent because I'm teaching cinematography. So of course I'm going to look back and critique what I was teaching. And I'll be honest. I mean, like a lot of my learning and growth has come from, trying to figure out a video to teach and just realizing that I hate it or looking back and reflecting and being like what was I doing why was who was I to think I could teach that because I didn't know um, so definitely a lot of my skill set has grown as well and just the way that I look at lighting cinematography and a whole storytelling it's completely changed
0: I feel even to this day sometimes I I want to create a lighting breakdown, cinematography thing. And then I like question myself. I'm like, am I even qualified to be doing this right now? Like, do you struggle with that? That mindset?
1: All all the time. And especially like, since I started young, I assume you started young with this as well. There's these like stigmas of you're just a kid. You don't know anything. You're not legit. So it's, that always stuck with me from like photography, from wedding photography, just whatever I was doing that stuck with me. So that carried on into the YouTube of like, dude, I'm just a kid. Like, what do I know? Who am I to tell somebody what to do? And that was the hardest thing. And of course you always get the people that come on and let you know that they're experienced and you're doing stuff wrong. I guess that's inevitable. Um, but, but a lot of it driving, it's just like seeing like those little me's like those like 13, 14, whatever, 16 year olds, learning and appreciating it and being like, this is so valuable. And I'm like, wow, I would have loved that. Like, I know what that feels like. And that kind of keeps me pushing forward and just ignoring some of the critical people that are out there.
0: Yeah. I, I've definitely gotten my fair share of like, Hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm like, I guess maybe, maybe I do a little bit. Um,
1: and yeah. I have my days yeah. where, you know, it feels just one tear in my eye. And I'm like, wow. He's he's right. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel that, and I, something I also want to ask you too, because I, I struggle with this. Is like, how often do you now create a video for the sake of getting a video out versus like I'm one hundred percent on board with this. Like I'm, this is me in a video. Like sometimes I feel as though I need to just create something because I need to post something on Monday.
1: Yeah, I I try not to, because I feel like one i've always wanted to be organic and not a sellout as they say and just post to post um but there's definitely been times where i'm like it's friday afternoon i've got to post on monday what am i supposed to do but i always try to go at it with some sort of intention because i don't want to just it's better to just not post rather than just to post a bs video Um, which isn't always the case but I always try to go at it with some sort of intention and, you know, provide value as best I can, given the circumstances. I love
0: that. I've, I've tried working on that too. And I sometimes feel so guilty when I don't put up a video. I'm like, Oh, that's it. I'm actually, I'm done now. I'm Mm -hmm. going to fail if I don't put up a video, but it is, there is a benefit to it rather than just putting up a Kind of crappy video for the sake of doing it because then you start to lose some sort of authenticity, maybe originality, and the quality that you kind of set for yourself. Do you agree?
1: Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And I just, I literally just went through that um, last week or a week and a half ago with the whole my year recap video. My intention was to get that out as last video of the year and then have something to start the year. But it just, I had Christmas, I had the VO or the voiceover I had to keep recording and I had all these things and I was like, I've got to post this on Monday, but it's going to be garbage. It's not going to be, you know, well put together. And then I was talking to, I don't know if you know Sam Newton, yeah. but I, was not
0: personally, but I do know him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was such a cool guy, but he was like, it's YouTube. Like, why do you need to put it out? Cause I told him I was like freaking out about it. he's like, just put it out the next week. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess so. So then I spent the entire week, you know, polishing it, yeah, it even more. It shows it. It's, it's a really
0: great video by the way. Yeah. It's Thank really you. awesome. I appreciate that. Um, speaking of Sam Newton and like that type of communication, did you have, or do you have any mentors in this industry, maybe in YouTube or DP side that have maybe helped you along the way?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got a handful of people cause I, I'm definitely a firm believer of just like always growing and kind of putting that Pride aside, of you know, I'm I'm not allowed to look up to people, but there's a few people. Uh, I mean, on the YouTube world, I was just talking to him this morning. Mark Bone is so inspiring with his yeah. storytelling.
0: I've talked to him that's a few just, times. He's a great guy.
1: Yeah, he's super cool. And one of my weaknesses as a cinematographer is the storytelling side of things, like the writing and the making a film. And without cinematographer or without uh storytelling, cinematography is kinda pointless. So like that's what I've been trying to work on. And he's definitely someone I look up to with that. Um and a few other I don't believe he's got a YouTube presence, but I've got a good friend of mine, um uh Matt Bendo. He's he he's Toronto based and he's such a talented D P and he's just like a down to earth good guy as well. So a lot of the times we'll just, you know, talk shop and throw some ideas back and forth and you know it's it's inspiring to have people that are so much ahead of you but still willing to just you know talk and you know grow together
0: that's amazing i feel the same way like about where we are to the people that look up to us like i want to i want to be able to have like a conversation with a DP that's huge and it's amazing. It's a great feeling for me to be able to see that they're willing to talk to me. And I, I imagine that it's the same feeling for those people when we are willing to communicate with them and share our experiences. So yeah. I feel like it's just like a cycle that um, is kind of never ending, I guess. Like it's always you, there's always someone ahead of you and it's always important to kind of give back whatever you're learning, essentially.
1: Yeah, and it's it's definitely reassuring. I've had conversations with tons of people, not tons, but a handful that are high up in the industry that I think that you know they've got it all together, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, I've got no idea." Like that sounds cool, and I'm like, "Okay, so that's reassuring. I'm not alone, but also this is never ending. It's just always gonna be that way." Yeah, I feel that I've had
0: conversations like that too, um, especially. Now that like, we're both, I mean, you're obviously a lot bigger on YouTube. I'm growing in YouTube. I'm starting to see changes in how my YouTube is becoming. Um, But I also DP that's, that's my primary job. That's what I do. Um, And business is a huge aspect to being a DP and obviously YouTube. So I guess my question is like on the YouTube side, I really want to know how have you navigated the business side of it because as you've grown, obviously sponsorship opportunities, brands are all going to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. How have you
1: navigated that? It's tough. And I say this all the time. I'm not a businessman. I'm not an entrepreneur. I just want to create things. So there was like this slap in the face of needing to take it as a business. And at first it was hard. I, you know, Obviously with YouTube, sponsorship stuff comes through. And at the very beginning portion, I would just say yes to everything people would always want to like, say, we'll send you this, we'll send you that. And I'm like, yes, this is great, free stuff. But I've found it was never, there's always kind of some sort of catch. And I kind of found myself in the hole really quick with a few back-to-back projects where I was like, wait, I don't want to be the guy who's just doing ads all the time on my YouTube and just doing stuff for gear. Cause people see right through that. I always just want at the end of the day to be organic. Um, and provide values. So very quickly I had to take a step back and be like, how do I want to approach this? And then, you know, take it from a different perspectives um, as far as like the sponsor the sponsorship and business side goes.
0: I guess now business side and DPing, I, I know that you've started to venture off. You've done some gaffing work that I saw pretty recently. Um, how often are you DPing now?
1: There was a point, you know, third quarter going into fourth quarter last year where I was always either gaffing or DPing like, you know, a couple jobs a week or a few jobs a month and it was fantastic. And then I DPed a project, I think it was a seven day long project coming into the beginning of the holiday season. And I was like, this is it until the end of the holidays. I'll just do YouTube. Cause I was just kind of burnt out from that. Um, and then I broke my collarbone. So now I'm just kind of dying to get back on because gaffing doesn't really work when you only have one arm.
0: That's true. It's a very, very hands on job.
1: There's my tip of the day.
0: <laughs> if you if you have a broken collarbone, don't be a gaffer.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, ideally soon, once I get healed, I'm going to get back on some projects doing DPing and gaffing. But I was at the point where it was about 50, 50, and it was nice because some not all um of the projects that i was on i could take footage of and break down on my youtube so it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone and still being able to provide value and you know videos of real life scenarios
0: i i'm doing something very similar too i think that's like some of the most valuable content that i put out is like the behind the scenes stuff for these commercials that i'm doing and all of those like i can set up a, a lighting tutorial or something in my bedroom. Um, but how practical is that really in the real world? It's it's great for information on the technical side sometimes, but when people get to actually see how a DP works on set, the uh, what I say the most important thing is communication, being able to see how a DP communicates with a director, producer, their crew, client, agency, all the different people, they really get a sense of what a DP does. Because I think there's a misconception that it's just like You, you light things, you put the camera there and your job's done. And that is not even close to what a DP. Yeah, I
1: agree. And I found myself in that a little bit with like that Vermont span when I was only creating scenes for YouTube, I almost sent, like pulled myself away from it. And once I was DPing again, I was like, Oh wait, that's not how this is. And I kind of had to like relearn because I was just out of it for so long. Um, but it's tough. And especially the breaking down on like real sets is so difficult because it's like splitting your brain in two. And I'm sure you've experienced this. It's like my main focus is the the final product, like DPA and getting the final look. But then part of me still needs to be like, what do I need to get for behind the scenes stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Do
0: you find that there's like a correlation between the stuff you make on YouTube and your DP life, um, the work that you do, like, do you find any similarities or like, what are, what are things that, that translate across the board between the two for you?
1: So between like my, just like my life and my DP stuff. I guess
0: like, let me, let me try to rephrase this. Um, The stuff that you create on YouTube, like the the lighting stuff, how you light things on YouTube, how does that translate to when you're on set as a DP? Do you light things similarly um, based on your practices on YouTube, or are you more reliant on your crew members to light things specifically? Like, how do you navigate
1: that? Yeah, I like to think that they kind of are intertwined. Like, I like to teach what I do, and I'm not going to kind of go out of the boundaries of what I know to teach stuff that I don't know. So, I see a lot of my style translate back and forth and just like lighting things the same or at least having the same look um and to the best of my ability like whether the director wants that look or whatever um, but i i like to have a lot of this you know low soft filmic look and a lot of my work that i think translates over my youtube and both my dp work i'm not sure yeah i
0: think you have a very distinct style i noticed a a correlation between the two which is really nice it shows that you have kind of like i don't want to say like a distinct voice but like i i I feel like i can tell when i see someone like oh i think he shot this um which i think is nice and i'm sure you know your style varies depending on the project but um I've noticed like a, a correlation between a lot of the work you've done in YouTube and like some of the, your outside work as well. So it's, it's really nice.
1: That's really sure. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's hard at times. Cause even if like, I've got a vision of what I want, but I've got these like hard engraved like habits of how I would go about lighting or shooting. So even though I want something different, I find myself going back to this, you know, same old routine. And it's sometimes hard to break out of it. Like you look at something and I'm like, it's not what I want, but it's hard to think and say like, how do I actually get that? So it's this, I'm always trying to exercise that muscle of just like trying different things.
0: So I've, I've felt that too, especially when you're making a bunch of YouTube stuff and it's kind of just you and maybe a friend. So you're very limited to what you can do, the knowledge that you have. And I'd say over the past two years the more that i've worked with experienced gaffers and for any dp out there this is like a big tip for me is work with gaffers that are like 30 years old 40 years old that are way older than you and are way more experienced Um, the more that i've worked with these gaffers and key grips and people that have this insane amount of knowledge the more that my my brain has been open to what the possibilities are Like if I ask them, Hey, I need a key light here. I need it soft. I need it wrapped warm. And in my brain, I'm like, Oh, I could just use like a mega light cloth, wrap it here, maybe with something else. And they're like, let's do a book light with this over here. I'm like, I didn't even think about that. But like they've had so much experience with these things um, that relying on older people with experience is insanely vital to learning. Um, I guess, My question now, like based on that, is how do you, as an educator on YouTube, how do you learn things?
1: A lot of it is going to be hands-on and running into things that just don't work. All the time that happened, especially in those beginning days of YouTube and you know the DP side of things, I would find myself having this perfect scenario in my head, like this is going to work, and then I look at it and I'm like, this looks like garbage, and I don't know how to get to it. So there's always been this like problem solving side of me. And before I took photo and video seriously, I was planning on being an engineer, but math is hard. So, you know, that yeah, trickled off, but what carried over from that, I like to think is like a lot of the problem solving of like understanding or realizing things don't work and trying to find a solution of how to make it work. And that's what I think pushed myself to grow. Cause I, I like to think having started cinematography in like early 2019, I had a big like growth phase of talent, um, just to get me to where I'm at now. And a lot of that was because I hated everything, but I had to problem solve and try to figure it out.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, problem solving is the number one, it's the name of the game for real. Um, and it's just never ending. It's like you solve one problem, you turn around and there's 30 more problems for you to solve. But I, I, I don't know. I enjoy that. I enjoy the problem solving aspect. I, in school, I was always good at those like open ended problem solving questions. Um, I, I, enjoyed those a lot. Um, I don't know how that correlates, but, um, I, I do enjoy the, the satisfaction of having a problem in front of you. And then, figuring it out either yourself or with collaboration, like a bunch of people working together to figure something out.
1: That's the fun part is when you've just got this family of people that all have the same end goal, but the same problem at hand where you all kind of have to put your heads together and figure it out. It's always such a good feeling, you know, getting to the back end of it in the middle of it. Sometimes it's a huge headache and you're, you know, grumpy and upset about it, but. It's always fun hey, at the crew. end.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm assuming you like working with the crew. Like, yes. I know some people that rather not ever work with anybody else, but you seem to want to work with crews more often.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a blast working with the crew, especially when you've got a really good crew of people where just things flow and you can just say things and they get done and you all kind of bounce ideas off each other and keep going. That's always a really fun environment to be in. And I've always liked doing that more than the run and gun, you know, one man band type stuff. Cause it takes an army, especially once you get to like actual, you know, narrative projects and things like that, you need people. You can't do it on your own.
0: No, that's for sure. Um, do you, have you ever noticed like a, like stigma with, being a YouTuber, quote unquote, and then trying to pursue DPing in a professional sense. Yes, um, I've noticed that it's gotten a little bit less, like especially now that I've been doing a lot more bigger DP stuff. Um, but I could definitely still see like a stigma with just being like, "Oh, I'm a YouTube cinematographer." Yeah, person. I like, was. What was your experience? Literally
1: just talking about this yesterday with someone, and there's definitely a stigma out there. And it's you're right; it's kind of blending as you know, you've got more, I guess, greater ability to do stuff on an indie level with quality just because of gear. But there a hundred percent is some sort of stigma of like, Oh, he's just a YouTuber. He's not a real DP. And that's something that I always was scared of because it's not, it's not at all any bash on like, like the YouTube content creators or the filmmaker side. It's just, everybody's got their own preference of kind of where they want to fall. And I really like that filmmaking side. So as I was getting into it, I was like, I don't want to come off as, you know, just this YouTuber guy when I'm trying to get filmmaking work. Um, but I I have, especially in the past few years, seen that start to mesh because you've got a lot of really talented DPs posting on YouTube educational content yourself you've got like lewis potts danny they're they're all doing real work and then just being a huge resource on youtube which is starting to blend that line together
0: yeah i've noticed that too i think it's becoming more acceptable in the industry like there's a lot of companies out there too that are also starting to create youtube stuff Um, so i'm pleasantly surprised to see it all and it's really nice um what was the biggest challenge for you to start going into DP work from YouTube?
1: I think it was myself. There's a huge and still is every day like uh, kind of like self doubt or imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it that I'll look at other people who are very successful or at least their social media presence makes them seem very successful. Where I'm like they're they're legitimate I'm not because I haven't done XYZ or I don't shoot on blank or whatever. So I'll almost find myself kind of running from it and staying in my safe haven of YouTube. And it still happens a lot where a project will come up and I'll, you know, doubt myself and be like, eh, I'm probably not the man for the job. So I think it's this always ever evolving kind of obstacle that I run into, which is just like, The doubt thing and almost in a form of like insecurity because resources are there like if i apply myself i'm sure i can make it happen and you know learn from it etc and keep growing but that's probably one of the biggest things
0: i guess going on top of that what are your what are your aspirations for this year in terms of DPing? like do you do you plan on kind of kicking that doubt in the head and just being like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, this. Like, what is your aspirations for this year?
1: hundred percent. I realized that I started to go down the hole of only caring about a good looking image. Um, and like I said before, storytelling is a huge aspect. So I, one of my big goals is improving the storytelling side of things and just pushing myself to either work on projects that are passion projects that I'm writing or you know working with the community to make that and just kind of diving more into the storytelling side of things and improving that strength because even though i'm still growing with the cinematography side i need to you know support everything else as well
0: you have any aspirations to be a writer or director at all
1: i don't think so i think it's it's helpful um to be kind of multifaceted in the industry um so being able to be a cinematographer, but understand other aspects of like, especially writing, but like, you know, having understanding for a lot of the hats in the industry is super helpful because I know where my home base is, but being able to just branch out and either offer different, uh, you know, ideas along the way and stuff like that is super helpful.
0: I agree with that. And similarly, I, I always say a lot that, my journey to becoming a cinematographer included becoming a PA for a while. I was an AC for a while. I gaffed for a little bit. I was a grip for a while. Um, and all of those experiences I think helped shape me be the DP that I am today because it allowed me a better understanding of those positions and like what those people go through during a day. Mm -hmm. Cause as you grow as a DP, you work with an AC, a second AC, grip, gaffer, keep all these different people. And as a leader, you need to understand their position, you need to understand what they're going throughout the day. And if you've been in that position, it's way better for you. It's it's way easier for you to communicate with them and uh, be more um, relatable in a sense. So I, I'm a, i I'm a, like similar to what you said, I'm a big proponent and kind of branching off into different avenues for you to get a better understanding of the general scope of filmmaking. Yeah.
1: and You you know, Byron Shockley. Yeah, of course. Um, I was talking to him about this probably a year ago and it always stuck with me because he's a very talented director. Like he knows that's what he does. But I was talking to him and he was like, I'm working on filming, doing more stuff so I can talk to my DP in a language that they understand. And it's the same kind of concept of like, if you understand, you know, yourself, Uh, say you didn't do the grip and gaff work, but you're just shouting at all these orders as a DP that aren't realistic. It just, you know, you, you just butt heads and it doesn't work. So if you have that understanding for the other fields in it, knowing your place, but still being able to communicate about it, it's super helpful. And it just builds to that community aspect.
0: I completely agree. Um, I guess now that like you've grown and you're becoming way more, proficient as a dp and you decided to move to utah can you talk to me about your thought process and that experience of why you decided to move there instead of like in la or new york
1: i think that that's always like a, a trivial question because everyone's you know saying that the film industry is la and new york which is true there's a big industry there but there's also a lot of other places that have film work philly utah has uh i think it's newer but it's growing pretty fast and pretty strong so all these like kind of microfilm communities and one of the things that stuck out to me when i came to visit and i was just looking at you know where to move was the community here was immediately welcoming and you know everyone wants to just bounce off of each other and grow together where i didn't necessarily have that feeling in other places so Immediately when coming out here, even to visit, I just wanted to shoot a spec. And within two days, I had like eight people that are all in the film industry that just wanted to be a part of it and help out. And now a lot of them are really good friends of mine now. So that was probably the main thing that played into it. But also having grown up in Vermont, I like the, you know, the seasons and the mountainous environment, and stuff like that, which Utah is that. Yeah. On steroids. Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, some appeal when it came to that as well. Hmm.
0: That's awesome. I honestly I'm pretty jealous. Utah, I was there, I did a cross country road trip with a couple of my friends and we stayed in Utah for about we didn't intend to stay there for a while. Our car broke down and we got stuck in Moab, Utah. Not a bad place. For like five days, I think. Um but it's just like it's peaceful there. It's it's like calm. Everyone is just yeah. a little bit more relaxed. That's um, honestly, that's just really nice. I'm I'm kind of jealous that you're in that area. I've been I've been trying to figure out where I want to go if I want to go anywhere because mm-hmm. I've been debating on moving out of Philly. Um, and I hate to hate saying that I've been thinking about LA, but I have. Um, well, of course, so, yeah.
1: It's always a question that's on the table. I still think about it because there's still mm-hmm. you know work to be had there from a career aspect. There's still yeah plenty of stuff out there. It's not to say that there's no work.
0: Ryan, uh, you, are you familiar with Ryan Cow? He's another YouTuber, K-A-O. I think so. I'm sure if you saw him, you'd yeah. recognize him. But when I was in yeah, LA yeah, yeah. a couple like month and a half ago for a commercial, I was out there and uh, I had coffee with him. I met him. Um, he was pitching me on LA. He's He moved there from, um, I forget, either way, he, mo- he just moved there. Um, And he was saying that there's also a ton of opportunity here, even though it's very saturated, it's just kind of like what you make of it. How hard are you ready to hustle type of thing? Yeah,
1: Um, That's what, I don't know if you know Kevin Reyes. Yes. Yes. Same thing. He's like, every time I go out there, he's like, dude, move out here. There's work. There's plenty of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but, I'm not sold on it yet. Yeah, I'm not either. He does a good job. <laughs> I, I'm tempted because he's down at a little bit more south in uh, I think Orange County area.
0: That's a nice area. I I wouldn't want to be like in nice L.A. Area. I'm not a fan of it. To be Me honest, either. I don't
1: like it. Yeah, I I've never been sold on it, but like the Orange County area down in like you know Newport Huntington area, I'm like, this is nice. Yeah, I could do that.
0: I'm slowly getting there, but we'll see. Um, my fiance yeah. is she's willing to she's, she's been with me for so long that she supports me in like any crazy thing that I do. Um, which mm-hmm. kind of brings me to my next question is just like, I, th- I believe you have a girlfriend now, correct? Yes. Okay. How is your, like, how do you balance relationships with what you do in this industry?
1: It's tough. Cause especially being someone who is so focused on needing to like, you know, subconsciously prove to myself that I'm good. I'm always trying to like you know, work, 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 and do more. So it used to be a thing where that's, you know, kind of all I felt like I wanted to do. Uh, but now it's, she's done a great job of helping me realize that, like, if I'm not feeling it, it's okay. <laughs> I don't need to do that all the time. Because there's been a lot of times where I'm trying to plan something or work on a project. And I just don't like, nothing's coming to me, but I'm staying like, I need to focus. I need to work on this and nothing is coming, but she's been like, just up for the day. And then I come back to it the next day and it, and it works well. So kind of, you know, loosening my reins a little bit on like the work front and just letting myself, you know, not be a workaholic
0: she kind of helps you separate the yeah. work and life and i've that's something that i have worked on last year. I made it a point to work on it was to kind of separate work and life and cuz i would just work nonstop all the time mm-hmm. and i'd never i would always say no to going out with the i mean not that i go out at all. I really don't, yeah. but hanging out with friends or doing stuff with her, i'd never really thought about that as like a priority in my life, but Um, now I make an effort to really be focused on, like, when I'm with her, I'm with her. Mm -hmm. Like, when I'm with my family, I'm with my family. Um, And I think that's helped me stay grounded a little bit more late this past year. But I also think it allowed me to gain a better relationship with her and my family and friends, is just being, like, present.
1: I agree. The present, yeah, the present thing is a great point, because that's a lot of the you know, growth that I made in 2022 with myself was just being grounded and like being here and present because before that, I, I was so much on that climb where I didn't think that that was acceptable. And then all of the, like, I don't regret at all one time where I just completely put work aside for the day or the week or whatever, and was just present with my relationship or my family or my friends out here, or just myself. Uh, there's always, there's never been any regret attached to that, so.
0: Yeah, I feel that. Um, I guess with being present, something I want to ask you, I kind of ask everybody this because it's something that I have like, it's like two sides social media, especially Instagram for me. It's like when I'm feeling good, when I'm getting booked for things, I'm feeling successful, Instagram is a place of pure inspiration. I am ready to support everybody and anybody. When I am not getting booked, I am not feeling good feel like I'm getting forgotten. Instagram is the worst place in the world for me. And I don't even want to look at anybody's work because I think I'm, I'm literally the worst. What is your opinion on Instagram and just social media in general as a creator?
1: Man, I hate it. I know. But I hate that I love it too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're, you're, you hit the nail on the head with that because I mean, as you know, being injured and taking that break from the holidays, I went from feeling that high of like I'm nonstop busy with you know work and success and whatever to going to the polar opposite of even if I want to, I can't do a thing. It was such a hard change and just seeing a lot of my friends still doing work, still, you know, making things happen, I went through a point where I'm crawling out of slowly now that I was just like, I suck. Everybody else is good. I'm not, you know, it's not me. So, and I, I always go through those waves and I've learned that about myself, especially in the last couple of years. But in, in the heart of that, just going on to Instagram, is like the worst thing ever, but I feel like I can't not do it. I don't know what, like I'll even, I'm terrible with it. I'm, you know, one of those addicts and I know it because I'll be on Instagram and I'll be like, okay, I'm done. I'll close it, check my email close it, go back to Instagram. And I'm like, yeah. how did I get here? It, exactly. Like, what-
0: it's just your thumb has a mind of its own.
1: It does. It really does. So it's, it's bad, <laughs> but there's, there's definitely benefits from it, especially being somebody who with social media after my job is YouTube or Instagram. It has its benefits a hundred percent, but it's got its dark corners as well.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think something that I've been trying to answer for myself and like work on is I look at all these people, I'm like, oh, they're successful. They're this, but like, what is success to me? Um, and I guess my deep question to you is like, what does success look like to you?
1: That is a good question. And And it's it's a hard one. I feel
0: like it varies as your life goes on. It does. But I feel like. Maybe right now, like as you look at your life and where you are, relationship career, like what is success to you? Like are you living your successful life right now?
1: At this point, I'd say yes, a hundred percent, because two years ago I'd be like, "Wow, if I saw somebody like me, I would be intimidated or you know discouraged or whatever. So I know where I'm at is a point that I can be happy with. But like you said, it varies and it always changes. so now I'm looking at future two years ahead, seeing a totally different picture. But I think the one thing that always stays the same is just being able to have this freedom of not not necessarily like financial freedom, being rich and successful and whatever. Of course, everybody would like that, but just being able to, you know, take that time away and being present as well as having a well-balanced business or career side of things as well. Um, I think that's super important, especially what I'm trying to focus on in the next couple of years, because obviously I want to grow more in the industry, but I also want to grow more with the educational side on YouTube and my YouTube presence. Um, So I think just finding a healthy balance of scaling those equally as well as just focusing on Brady, I think that would definitely be something that is more of like a timeless uh, success goal.
0: That's awesome. I love that answer. Um, cause I, I struggle with that question a lot and I ask myself it all the time and something that helps me get out of this, like, like whenever I'm feeling super anxious about like where I am in life or where I'm in my career, I always kind of just look and be like, if I were myself like six months ago, looking at me now, I'd be like, ah, oh, you're killing it, man. Or like last year, my, myself last year would be like, oh, I, I can't wait to be where you are and A year from now so like little things like that where it's like you might not be exactly where you envision yourself right now or where you hope to be or where you see people are where you are right now is where you dreamt of being last year um and that for me is a very comforting feeling i guess you know
1: yeah it definitely is and it's it's hard to realize that sometimes but there are times that you know i i have this memory 12 years ago i was shooting and i saw somebody with like one of those canon l lenses with a red ring on it i was like damn you know how nice it would be to have that (laughs) like i'll never have that (laughs) and then you know i had a friend that had like an aperture 120d and i was like damn you know, nice it'd be to have that.
0: And now look at (laughs) you, aperture all around.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This, you know, I got a few lights, Yeah, but it's, it's just this progressing ladder that, you know, they say, don't look down on the ladder, but it helps to look back every now and then and realize where your previous success goals were. I agree. Um,
0: I got two more things I want to ask you before we head off for the day. Um, one is
1: what are your, what are your
0: couple goals for you this year like what are some things that you want to be filming this year like that you haven't been able to do yet?
1: There's a few projects that I'm you know kind of forcing myself to do because I had this instinct of the second things get difficult out of my skill set. I'll just pretend I don't see it. So there's one short that I'm actually trying to like scramble to pull together right now that I'm filming in like two weeks, just because, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I wanted to do it. And now I'm just forcing myself to do it because that's one of the big things is that storytelling and the writing thing. So forcing myself to do stuff like that is a huge thing throughout the year that I'm going to push myself to do There's that there's another doc that I'm trying to write. And I know that I'm a DP and I'm not trying to be a writer or a director, but i have these projects that are just like you know my little babies that i want to do for me and i'm not you know necessarily trying to be a director or a writer but i want to do those things for sure so there's just a few projects like that that i'm working on um just to push myself a little bit more out of my comfort zone and essentially making me better and more well rounded
0: that's awesome and i think my last question is if you were sitting across from your younger self as you are starting photography and beginning this career and journey, and you're sitting across from who you are right now, what was, what's some piece of advice you would give your younger self?
1: It's got to be the whole self-doubt and security thing. Because I think that's the one continuous obstacle over 13 years I've run into is even though I'm a, youngster in the industry or new or whatever there's always going to be something there's always going to be some excuse or reason to hold me back and you know acknowledge that and be aware of it but not let it be such a big roadblock from you know pushing myself to the next level because everybody's got that you know self-doubt or like imposter syndrome of they shouldn't be there even though it looks like they've got it all together everybody's got some sort of sense of it
0: well i think that's a great answer thank you for sharing that um where can people find you
1: they can find me across the board at just at brady Bissett. i think it's just on the instagram and youtube i have (laughs) but yeah brady Bissett, b-r-a-d-y b-e-s-s-e-t-t-e
0: thanks man i appreciate um i appreciate the time you took um really really enjoyed this conversation a lot i got to learn yeah, a lot about you, you so which much. I was really excited about, which is um, hopefully people can find some value in this conversation. And um, yeah, man, keep crushing it this upcoming year. I'm excited to see what you do.
1: Thank you, dude. I'm excited to see what you do too. So I'm, I'm honored to be here and thanks so much.
0: Of course. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great day. See you next time. Peace out. Musicbed has been my favorite resource for finding music for all of my videos and now with my podcast, it has been my favorite place to find my intro and outro music. With over 40,000 curated songs available for licensing for any podcast, the music that they have on their roster will help elevate your story and whatever you're trying to share on your podcast. Finding music is also extremely easy with their browse and search tools. Use anything from genre, mood, to advanced filters like BPM and key. Playlists from your favorite creatives are also an amazing tool. Some of my favorite playlists include chill, hip hop, ambient, cinematic. These are just a few examples of some of the playlists that you can find. And if you still need help finding what you need, Musicbed's team can help you with their complimentary song searches. Hear the difference for yourself and sign up for a free account. Use the code CARLO at checkout and receive one month free when you purchase a podcast subscription. Thank you, MusicBed. So that's all we got for you today. Thanks again for listening to the show. Hopefully you found it beneficial and entertaining. I'd like to encourage you all to share this episode with a friend and leave a review on whatever platform you are using. And as always, thanks again and see you next time.